Praise the Lord. Lord bless you. You may be seated. We just had a wonderful time in Sela. Very thankful for that. And uh, I will say this to you in advance. I have told uh, the pastor or the elder in Sela that that was part one and this is part two and so he needs to have the Sela congregation listen to this and I'm telling you this is part two so uh, when you're ready you need to listen to part one because they are complimentary if you don't ever listen to anything but this then it'll still work for you praise God if you have a Bible and you would like to go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Praise God. Here you are. Okay. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Thank you. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now, I will very willingly acknowledge that if you were following along with that, it's very possible that you didn't understand any of it. And that has nothing to do with your intelligence. It has to do with the fact that there is so much the Holy Ghost through the Apostle Paul crammed in these verses that it would take, you, you could spend, well, I've spent many, many, many hours studying these verses and uh, I'm convinced that if I spent a lifetime studying these five verses I still would not fully grasp it all if you would permit me I'm going to do something a little different I'm going to read a couple of different translations just so you get a little different flavor maybe a little easier to follow I'm right I'm reading from a translation called the Bible in basic English for which reason, because we have righteousness through faith, let us be at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> through whom, in the same way, we have, been able to buy, we have been able by faith to come to this grace in which we now are. And let us have joy in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but let us have joy in our troubles in the knowledge that trouble gives us the power of waiting, and waiting gives experience, and experience hope. And hope does not put to shame, because our hearts are full of the love of God through the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. And then one more, and this is a, this to some people it's a comical name, but it's actually the name of the translation. It's the easy to read version. That's the official name of it. Okay, we have been made right with God because of our faith. So we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
through our faith, Christ has brought us into that blessing of, his, of God's grace that we now enjoy. And we are very happy because of the hope we have of sharing God's glory. And we are also happy with, with the troubles we have. Why are we happy with troubles? Because we know that these troubles make us more patient. And this patience is proof that we are strong. And this proof gives us hope. And this hope will never disappoint us. We know this because God has poured out his love to fill our hearts through the Holy Spirit he gave us. Now, I'm primarily going to focus just on verse 5. That's going to be my primary focus. You know, I could step off that, but at 75, it's not worth the risk, right? <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time I hurt myself, so you learn some things with time, right? It's wonderful to see you. Most of you don't know me. I don't know you. But we're here today. We're here. We have something in common. We've come because this is a church service. Now, that means something different to each one of us. It doesn't mean the same to everybody. Uh, and we're not all here for the same reason. Some of us are here because of obligation. Some are here because of commitment. Some may be here because of fear that if you don't come, something bad's going to happen. I'm not here for any of those reasons. I'm here because I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have, I have two different relationships with him. Personal relationships, but they're different. One, the first relationship I have is the one I have with him personally. All of us individually, male or female, are called sons of God. But collectively, when we all come together, all of us, male or female, are a part of the bride of Christ. Those are two very different relationships. Some people think one is important, the other is not. Uh, but it's not an op there's not an option. <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculously simple, but I had to be a son before I could be a husband. It goes without saying, right, by definition? I, I couldn't go straight to husband without first becoming a son. Uh, it's like saying, if I wasn't born, I wouldn't need to be saved. You know, huh? Well, obviously. If I was never born, I wouldn't be lost. So I wouldn't need to be saved. So the first relationship that we all have is the relationship we have one-on-one -on -one with God. But there's a second, and, and, and he dwells in me by his spirit. When you obey the word of God and the spirit of the Lord comes in you, the Lord dwells in you by his spirit. That's that first relationship. It's very personal. It's you and him. 
But the second relationship is when we all come together collectively and the Spirit of the Lord manifests or makes himself known in our midst. He promised where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I will be in the midst of them. That is a different relationship with God altogether than our one-on-one relationship. They're not really the same. I can't have one without the other. It's not an either-or. It's not an either-or. I've got to do one or the other. Excuse me, I've got to do both. I can't do one or the other. Both are necessary. Both bring something to my life that the other cannot. It's not, neither one is an option. I know people that go to church, and that's the only Christianity they have. They come to church, they participate fully in church, but when they're outside of church, they don't live like a Christian, they don't think like a Christian, they don't talk like a Christian, they don't have Christian character, they don't have faith. And then there are people who, uh, who claim to have personal faith in God, but don't feel any need at all to gather with other believers. Well, that's, there's not an option. Both of these two relationships are absolutely essential for me to become what God wants me to be, and dare I say it, for me to be saved. I've got to have both these relationships. I can't choose one over the other. I need both of them. And so therefore, as I've said many times, I am not here participating in religion. And if you believe in religion, then you've got a problem. It's called the Bible. Because the word religion is a bad word in the Bible. The word religion comes up with do's and don'ts, and you're judged by, it, by whether or not you do more good than bad. Or more bad than good. That's religion. Doesn't matter what the name is. Christian religion, Islam, Hinduism, you name it. Every religion has the same basic tenet. If you do more good than bad, you go to paradise, you're saved, blah, blah, blah. If you do more uh, bad than good, you're lost. Well, you may think the Bible teaches that, but it doesn't teach it at all. It doesn't because faith relationship with God is not about performance. It's not about performance. Does the Bible have shalls and shall nots in it? Yeah. But what are the, what are they there for? Me, me doing the shalls and not doing the shall nots doesn't make me a good person. Me doing the, not doing the shalls and doing the shall nots doesn't make me a bad person. What it reveals is whether or not I have faith and whether or not I am in a relationship with the Lord that will allow him to save me. Now some of you are looking at me like, that's really far out there. It's, I'll tell you how far out it is. It's the, book, the Bible's full of it. Everything, I got all of this out of the Bible. I didn't get this from someplace else. So the point being, <laughs> I've said this many times, but when, when I fail and sin, 
the one that's shocked by that is not God, it's me. And the reason that I'm shocked and he's not is he knows the moment that my life ceases to be or my efforts cease to be about trusting him and him doing through me what I'm supposed to be doing. And when I take over and I try to perform and he knows the moment I make that decision, I'm going to fail. And I might make it a few hours, a few days, a few weeks, rarely. And, you know, I don't even know how, but a couple of months where I don't make some major mistake, uh, which has very, 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 very rarely ever happened. If I would be honest with myself, it never happened. Uh, and he, he was just waiting for me to finally figure, understand that I tried to take over and earn his love by performance. You know, there's a subject called grace. We read about grace here today. It was mentioned a couple of times. The, uh, the church world defines grace as unmerited favor. And all of us, whether we acknowledge or not, goes, huh? What? Grace is unmerited favor, huh? You see. <laughs> see, Christ, John 1 says, Christ came full of grace and truth. The law came by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And of his fullness, we've all received grace for grace. <laughs> So you go, okay, grace is unmerited favor. So uh, unmerited favor and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law came by Moses, but unmerited favor and truth came by Jesus Christ. So God never had any unmerited favor before Jesus Christ. And we've all received of his goodness unmerited favor for unmerited favor. Uh, Unmerited favor is a fixed amount. You can't increase it. It's unlimited. You can't go from unmerited favor to unmerited favor. It, that doesn't make sense. It's not possible. So how did we go from grace to grace? What is grace? Grace is when the indwelling Christ in me, when I submit to him, by faith and let him work in and through me he performs through me those things that I can't possibly do myself even if I'm trying hard to do them that's why one of the most misquoted places in the Bible is Ephesians chapter 2 when people say we're saved by grace and not by works. Well, they, they quit reading. They don't even read the next verse. For we are all his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So what, why does one verse say we're saved by grace and not by works, lest any man should boast, but we're all created in Christ Jesus. We're his workmanship created unto good works. No works, works. 
one verse to the next. What's that about? No. It tells us, and the one, no works, is talking about the works of our flesh, our humanity, our goodness. And the second one's talking about what God wants to do through, through us. The good works are the works of God through us as we allow him to. Now, some of you, and I understand, I really, honestly, I do. I'm not, uh, <laughs> right now, this doesn't make a lot of sense for some. And I understand, it's not your normal understanding of all of this, and that's fine. It has nothing to do with intelligence or whatever. It's just, it's different. But hang on, this is about to get very real and very practical. Okay, so verse five. Oh, I love this verse. I love all of them, but this one. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now, God is love. Jesus said, God is a spirit. There's only one spirit. The Bible talks about the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit was in the Son, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of the Lord. All of those are just different terms for the exact same one Spirit. One Spirit. There's only one Spirit. Okay? So, if, the, uh, if God is love and God is a Spirit... And the word of God says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Then if I receive the Holy Ghost, God is spirit. There's only one spirit. So if God is a spirit, then one of the titles of that same spirit is Holy Ghost. So if I receive the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, I'm receiving God and God is love. So I'm receiving the love of God when I receive the spirit. And every bit of this is about the love of God. People say, well, I've invited Jesus into my heart. That's, that's wonderful. Can you give me a verse for that? Can, can you show me where the Bible says that, invite Jesus into your heart? Well, of course you can't because it's not in there. I've looked. And we have sincere, really sincere people today preaching this doctrine. Except the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, you shall be saved. Okay? Right out that door, I got a 2020 Jeep Grand Cherokee Summit. Okay? My wife has the key. I don't say stuff I don't mean, so I'm saying to you, you can have the car and the key. You can drive it home today, it's yours. All you gotta do is show me the verse that says, if you say, I accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal savior, that that saves you. I just wanna see the verse, just one. 
The Bible says by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. I'm not even asking for two or three. I'm asking for one verse that says, accept the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, your Savior. Just that says if you say that. If you say, I accept the Lord Jesus Christ, my personal Savior. I'm not trying to be critical here. I'm not being critical. I'm asking you to think. There are people that think that Christianity teaches against thinking. That's ludicrous. If you don't think you're blind, intellectually blind, if you don't think you're intellectually blind, I accept nothing that anybody says that I can't prove in the book. Nothing that anybody says. Therefore, I'm not asking anybody here to accept any word I say that's not in the book. If it's not in the book, you're a fool to listen to it. And I don't mean that unkindly. If what I'm saying to you is not in the book, then, then you're, you're, it's very foolish to believe it. But here's the bottom line, okay? <laughs> I've been doing this a while. I'm 75, I've been doing this 53 years, and trust me, I never make a statement I'm not ready to prove by two or three witnesses at this very moment. In other words, I have no doubt I'll be driving my Jeep when I leave here. Why? Because I don't gamble. And when I made that statement, I know it's not in there because I've looked and looked and looked. And I've asked all kind of people that preach that, and they can't show me a verse that says that either. It's called interpolation. Some people call their biblical interpolation, they call it interpretation. No. Interpretation is when the words of the scripture actually tell you what the Bible says. But interpolation is if, if you calculate this point on a graph, you calculate this point on the graph, and you assume the line goes from point A to point B, then you can say, well, th that means this point's here, this point's here. But you don't know. You don't know what you're calculating. It may be that the lines vary to get from point A. You don't know that. So interpolation may make sense, but it's, it's laziness, intellectual laziness. It allows me to make assumptions that could be very dangerous to my soul. Because the scripture says, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Awesome. Awesome. Do I believe that verse? Absolutely. But it's one verse. And there are thousands of verses. And you don't interpret any verse separate than all the others. Ever. Not only that, whatever English Bible you're using or Spanish Bible you're using, they're just translations. The Bible's only divinely inspired in its original languages. And what we believe that believe means today, what does it mean to believe? Well, you know, we've got our definitions for that. But if you go to the Greek word translated believe, it doesn't fit our modern definitions of belief. It doesn't fit them. Why? Because the Greek word, the one the Holy Ghost chose to define what we call believe, means that I give my whole self to him. 
I rely upon him. I cling to him. He is in charge. He is first and foremost. I mean, you can find, you can talk to people that are high out of their minds on cocaine and say, you do believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. By what definition? By whose definition of what the word believe means? So, I know already for some of you, you said, this guy's out there, but he's pretty extreme. Yeah, my soul is at stake. Eternity is forever. I'm not going to, I'm not going to risk my salvation being based on <laughs> something I can't prove to myself. I may not be able to answer your questions, but I've got to have answers to my questions. And I want to know where those answers came from. And they've got to came, come from the book. Okay? They've got to come from the book. Only the book. Not from any church. Not from any church's doctrine or dogma. The book. The book. Nothing but the book. And I, I'm really... I, you know, you're, some of you think I'm pretty narrow-minded. I am really narrow-minded. I can tell you exactly how narrow-minded I am. One side, side of my narrow mind is Genesis 1-1, and the other side of my narrow, narrow mind is Revelation 22-21. And if it's not between those two boundaries, I don't believe it. Sorry. And everything that's going on in this world, the, the, the Bible is not judged by what people are doing in the world, what they say and what they think. Everything that's going on in the world is judged by what the Bible says. Not by this church or the organization I fellowship with or Christianity or whatever. I believe the Bible is the word of God. The forever settled word of God. And everything is judged by that. Everything. So when he says, oh, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. The question I got is this. Does God love you? Okay. Some he does. I can prove that. The Lord spared me from one of the biggest mistakes I could have ever made in my life. I proposed to a girl. She said no. I thought I loved her. She didn't love me. Was I loved? Was she loved? I offered her my love, but she wouldn't receive my love. Was she loved? I was offering my love, but she didn't accept my love. She didn't, she didn't allow me to give that love to her. Was she loved? So when the Bible says God so loved the world, is the whole world loved by God? No. Because you're not loved until you receive the love. God offered his love and is offering his love to the whole world. But he would have to violate your will and my will to love us against our will. 
You know, it's like, it's, it's like the, these, these brainiacs that go, well, if God was so, such a good God, how could he allow all of this stuff to be happening in the world? Well, okay. For God to prevent all this stuff bad happening in the world, he has to go against people's will. Let's start with you. You volunteer to be the first person that God doesn't allow you to exercise your will. And if you're willing to do that, then we can go from there. Because everybody wants God to be in control of everything, just not them. And so it's his fault that he's allowing all this stuff to happen. Because if he was really a good God, he would violate everybody else's will and make them do right so I can have free reign to do what I want and he doesn't violate my will. That's the kind of thinking that man has that is so warped. But it's considered normal today. It's considered this, I mean, you know, you hear intelligent people say, well, if there's a God, how could he allow this world to be in this kind of condition? Uh, the only way he can keep the world from being in this kind of condition is he begins to violate people's will. Let's start with you. I can't find anybody that's willing to be the first one. I can't find anybody that's willing to be the first one that agrees for God to violate their will so that he cannot let any bad stuff happen in the world. <laughs> so therefore, there's two things we know we need. The first thing we know we need is we know we need to breathe. And there are people who have trained themselves to hold their breath for a couple of minutes. But let me tell you what. If you don't believe you need to breathe, just stop. Just try not breathing. And I don't care what your mind decides. Your body is going to demand breath. And maybe you've never done that voluntarily. Maybe for whatever reason, athletics or whatever, you had what they call having the breath knocked out of you and you're trying to breathe you want to breathe and you can't get a breath and right then and there if you're not convinced of how important breathing is uh, it's pretty important right yeah. well the other thing is uh, food that's one thing to voluntarily go without food so you can lose weight it's another thing to be hungry and be willing to eat and not have anything to eat. And, uh, I, you know, I, uh, I've talked to people at times that said, you know, we're going to start storing food because of what's coming. Yeah, what you going to do? Well, we're going to get a weapon. Yeah. So when there's, nobody's got food and somebody's got kids that are starving, and they come to your house to get some of your food. You're going to shoot people for trying to get food for their starving kids. And what Bible are you reading? What Bible are you reading? Now, if that's the way you think, God bless you. Just, uh, you know. I don't know that I could shoot somebody that was hungry and had starving kids if I had food stored up, I don't know that I could do that. Therefore, uh, I believe, excuse me, if you're, this is not your politics, but I'm going to be 
really, I'm, this is not riding the line, this is my personal conviction. I believe in the right to bear arms. I just don't own any. Because I don't want to be in a position of having to use one on somebody. And it may not be the plan now, but there's coming a day it may very, may very well be the, the situation. Now, that's not politics. I'm not talking politics. Some of you think I just interjected politics into it. You have a right to believe what you want to believe. Free country. You believe what you believe. We can agree to disagree. I don't think less of you. Now, you may think less of me, but you know, I'm, I'm the worst of both sides, you see. <laughs> the people that don't believe in wep guns, they, they, they don't like me because I believe a person has a right to bear arms. And then those that believe in guns, they think, well, you coward, you don't own one. Well, one thing I'm not is a coward. I'm ready to go to heaven. If it came down to the difference of sending somebody to hell because they were hungry because I'm defending my food versus my life going on to heaven, I'm not going to be guilty of sending somebody to hell if I can help it. That's just a little bit far out there for a couple of you. <laughs> well, that's okay. I, I don't even know why I brought it up. But here it is. Don't take it back either. <laughs> Praise God. So if I need breath and I need food, is that all I really need to have life? Because you and I were created in his image, we need to love and be loved. We need it. But here's the problem. We want to love a human being and be loved back by that human being. Do you know how many marriages don't last because they thought they were marrying God and found out they married a human? Because if you're not happy before you got married, you're not going to be happy after you got married. Because there is nobody that you can marry that will give you happiness. Because happiness, the source of happiness is someplace completely different. No human being is able to do that. I've been married almost 53 years. I can't even imagine not being married to this lady. We were riding here and I complimented her dress. She says, you're precious. I said, you have no idea. You literally have no idea how precious I am. Literally. I can't imagine my life without her, but I know that if we both keep living, there will be a day. It's very likely that one of us will be without the other. But if I am loved by God, I will miss her, but I'm not going to be empty. And I've dealt with so many people that are in love with a human that are empty right here. Right here, it is such an emptiness. Whoa. And they spend, consciously and subconsciously, they spend their whole life trying to fill this emptiness up. But the problem is, 
Ecclesiastes uh, 3 and 8 says, or 3 and 11 says, that when God made us, the King James says he put, uh, he put the world in every man, but that's not what the Greek is. It's, uh, he put eternity in the heart of every man. When you and I were created in our mother's womb, we were only, we only developed hands and feet and eyes and ears. We developed our physical body. None of who we are as a person was developed in our mother's womb, just our physical body. So we were born, but God wasn't finished creating us yet. He proved that by the fact that every human being that's born is born with an an eternity-sized emptiness right here. And every human being goes on a quest even before they understand what they're doing to try to fill that eternity, eternal emptiness up with natural stuff. You can't fill the infinite with the finite. By definition, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Every addiction starts, no matter what the addiction is. Addiction to sports, addiction to chemicals, it doesn't matter what it is. Addiction to cars, <laughs> addiction to women or men or whatever. Whatever that addiction is, it starts as just a quest to try to fill the emptiness and that, and that temporary relief you seem to get, it takes more and more. But then a, you reach the point where it doesn't work like it was working, but now you're hooked. Now you're stuck. And now how do you get free? And now it's not working anymore to give you any relief, but now you're, you've become dependent upon whatever it is you're addicted to. For instance, I, I don't believe there's anything wrong with playing video games necessarily. But I know people that spend almost every waking moment playing video games. It started out as just an effort to try to fill their emptiness. But then they got to a place where they can't not do it. Well, I'm not addicted. Really? Just, okay, prove it. Don't do whatever that is for 30 days. Just stop right now. Don't do it again for 30 days. If you're really not addicted, just, just 30 days. Just stop. Prove it. Go ahead, really. Now I'm addicted to food. I'm not going to do that. I, li I like food. I just kind of like living, and I need food. I like breathing. I'm addicted to breath. I really am. I'm, I need breath. And I'm addicted to Alice Wright, and I don't want to break that habit. But bottom line, I remember the day that the love of God by the Spirit of God came into my life and filled that emptiness, and it's never come back. I've been full every moment of every day since then. I've been full on the good days. I've been full on the bad days.
My wife's had cancer three times. And uh, the first time, God miraculously took it away. The second time, according to her faith, which the doctor finally accepted and did it the way she wanted it done, it was a minor procedure, relatively minor procedure. It took care of it. But the third time she got cancer, the Lord spoke to her and spoke to me. It was going to be a different journey. And they never gave us any hope. And even though the doctors wouldn't give us any hope that she's going to live and I may lose my wife, the emptiness never came back. And therefore, the fear was never there. We never had fear. And I know, uh, you, I, can, I can hear, I can hear, okay? Somebody goes, yeah, yeah, that's what you say, but that's not possible. Oh, it is possible. It's possible. It's not only possible, it's promised to everyone who will allow him to do that in your life. It's a promise of God to live a life without fear. Do you know how many Christian people over the last 13 to 15, 18 months have lived in terror almost every day? Christians lived in terror. Well, everybody's, I'm not, haven't been afraid. I'm 75. I've been on 25 airplanes plus since the first week of October. I preach to crowds, minister to crowds of all sizes, and I do not have COVID, have not had COVID. Don't believe I'm going to get COVID. Why? Well, first of all, I don't have any fear. I don't have any fear. Now, the one I trust, the one I believe in, the one that loves me, he's in control. <laughs> If he, if he lets me get COVID tomorrow, big deal. What if you die? Oh, I'll just have to go to heaven. What a bummer. What? I know that some of you can't comprehend that. That's the point I'm trying to make here today. The Holy Ghost is trying to make. He wants us to live a life without fear. Uh, I didn't plan to use this one again, but here we are. First Corinthians, First John chapter 4, verse 16. I thought I was going a different direction, but the he is in control. First John 4, 16. Wait for that on the screen so you can read it. And we have known, the Greek word there means to know experientially, not, by, not intellectually. It's, it's, you know, we know a whole lot of things intellectually that we don't know anything about experientially. So knowing the love of God is not enough for you to know it intellectually. Oh, yeah, God's love. Okay, no. We have known experientially and believe. We put our full trust and reliance upon the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Next verse. Herein is our love made perfect, and the word perfect there does not mean flawless in the Greek. It means that your love has come to maturity 
or it's, uh, it's reliable, it's become dependable, you can count on it. Uh, that we may have boldness or confidence in the day of judgment, the Greek word there is K-R-I-S-I-S, from which we get the English word crisis. I have no interest in, in taking a course that the only exam I get is the final exam, because I don't know how I'm doing. Right? I don't know how I'm doing. I can think I'm learning this material. I think I can think I'm passing the course, but if I've had no tests and I face the final and I fail the final, I, I fail the course. Well, God's love is such that he gives us continual pop quizzes so we can see how we're doing. Every crisis is a pop quiz for your love to see if you have fear or love. Every crisis. Every single crisis in your life, big or small, is allowed by our loving Heavenly Father to give you a chance to find out whether or not you're learning and are ready to pass the final exam. Here it is our love made perfect that we may have boldness or confidence in the day of judgment or crisis. Because as he is, so we are in this world. Next verse. There is no fear in love. The Greek word there for no is the absolute negative. There is absolutely no fear in love. They are mutually exclusive. Like the definition of, uh, of darkness and light. The definition of darkness is the absence of light. So you can't have light and darkness coexist in the same place because the definition of the one is the absence of the other. So it is with fear. Fear and love cannot coexist in our hearts. If we have the love of God in our hearts, there is no fear because according to this scripture, fear is the definition of the fact or is defined as the absence of confidence in the love of God. There is no fear in love, but perfect or mature, dependable love casts out fear. Because fear has torment. The love of God gives us peace. Fear causes torment. You can't have peace and torment simultaneously. You have one or the other. He that, here it is, you ready? He that feareth doesn't have grown-up love, doesn't have dependable love, doesn't have love or confidence or the love of God that you can count on. In other words, your loved can't is not ready to pass the test. That's why it was very disappointing to me to hear and feel the spirits of people that, who are Christians that I was involved with that were just terrified. Uh, we had a man on our staff at home who'd been on our staff 25 years. One of the best friends I've ever had. He died at uh, 66 on New Year's Eve day. Now, he had other problems going on all year, had spent much of the year in the hospital, but he got COVID. He didn't have the strength to fight it. But the bottom line is, he told numerous people he was ready to go. 
He didn't want to fight it. He felt like it was his time, and he was ready to go. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What do you think the percentage of Christians there is that believe that right there? What do you think, what do you think the actual percentage of Christians who believe to live as Christ and die as gain really is? I'm not volunteering to die because I've got stuff to do. When he's done, I'm done. have people say to me, uh, Brother Wright, when are you going to retire? I don't know, but we'll let you know when the funeral is. <laughs> Somebody will let you know when the funeral is. You can have that as my retirement ceremony. Why? I'm not going to live where all I got to do is get up every morning and wait to see if this is the day I don't get up. I don't think that's living, is it? No. So here's what the love of God does for you. Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. I want you to notice that both in the English and the Greek, the terminology is very specific. These are not three different qualities of the same event. The conjunction at the beginning of peace and before the word joy, the conjunction and implies this is a different event. One event, the kingdom of God works righteousness in you. The second event, the Holy Ghost works peace in you. The third event, the Holy Ghost works joy in you. And we're going to apply that very specifically today. Why? Because there are precious people in this room who need, God created you to need to be loved but in your heart of hearts, you don't believe you're loved. And the reason you don't believe you're loved is you don't feel good enough. You're not worthy for God to love you. You don't believe you're worthy for God to love you. But here's the problem. I quit reading a verse early. First John, you don't, you don't have to go there. I'm just going to quote it. The next verse after, there is, uh, there is no fear in love because perfect love casteth out fear because fear of torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. The next verse, John, 1 John 4, 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. This means for you to feel and believe and know God loves you, you have to accept his love, receive his love on his terms. What's his terms? That you receive it from him without trying to earn it. 
You can't earn it. I know there are people that believe they, they're supposed to go to church to be saved. I do not go to church to be saved. I come together with the body of Christ because I am saved. I don't pay my tithes to be saved. I pay my tithes because I am saved. I don't pray so that I'm saved. I pray because I am saved. Because all of those things which you can find in the Bible, they become works where I'm trying to earn, deserve, and be worthy of salvation if I'm doing them for God to win his approval. Guess what? It doesn't matter what I do. It's impossible for God not to love me. Now, I know this is way before most of your time, but, and kind of, it was a few months before mine. I was born in February 46, less than a year after the end of World War II. You ready? God loved Hitler. Stalin in Russia was responsible for about 20 million people killed. God loved Stalin. How? How can God love those people? Because he created them. Now, they weren't loved because they wouldn't receive his love on his terms. You can't earn it, but you have to receive it from him. I don't know if I've ever used this in this kind of context before, but here it is. Praise God. Let's go to Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Romans 10 and 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Verse 2. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. What is it they didn't know about? Next verse. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, what they defined as righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. In other words, <laughs> I can't do this my way. I got to do it his way. He's not accepting my way. And he's, he proves he's no respecter of persons because he's not accepting anybody their way. Nobody their way. And the scripture says that we need to submit ourselves to the righteousness of God. That simply means I acknowledge I'm not God. He is whatever way he says for me to do this, that's the way I'm going to do it. I'm not going to try and... Deceive, I'm not going to deceive myself into thinking that, oh, God is so, you know, you know how old, you know how old people are. You know, they get forgetful and they're just whatever. So, so he's, you know, how old, he's old. So he's, he's sitting there and his eyes are dim and whatever. He's, he's just going to let all kind of stuff slide, including me. Excuse the terminology. Don't bet your eternity on it. 
not happening. And that's the thing. He says, whosoever will, let him come. He will save anybody his way. He's saving nobody their way. He will save anybody his way. I didn't say this church's way or Christianity's way. I said the Bible. I believe the Bible is the word of God, the forever settled word of God. Heaven word is going to pass away, but his word is never going to pass away. And I believe with all my heart that the Bible tells us about God and how to be saved. And I believe that if I want to know the truth, I'll receive it. John 7, 17 says, If any man will or wills to do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. So if I submit my will to God's will and say, Whatever way you want to do this, I'm going to do that. He guaranteed me he would show me truth. But I'm only going to get truth if I want his truth his way. If I'm wanting truth that's convenient for me and fits me and my opinions and whatever, I'm, all I'm doing is deceiving myself. So here we are again. Romans 14, 17. This is what the Lord is offering you his way. The work of the kingdom of God in your life, first of all, is going to produce righteousness. And we're going to pray after each one of these. Because I have a promise that when the Lord sent me to do this, that every single person that came into the, that he brought to the services where he sent me to minister, he was going to send them home changed. If they were willing. Now, he's not going to force anybody here to change. But if you want to change, if you want something to happen in your life today, I'm not going to do it, but he is. And I have a promise from him that he will. And that you're going to go home different. Now, righteousness. <laughs> righteousness is a problem. Because, again, it's another one of those theological terms that everybody's got an opinion of what it is. Well, why don't we find out what God's opinion of righteousness is? The Greek word, the Greek root word of righteousness, or actually the Greek word itself, of a righteous, according to Strong's Greek dictionary, means literally innocent. Innocent. Now, I have a question here. Uh, because this is an apostolic church and the Lord is saving people, it's virtually impossible there isn't someone in this room right now who has been in jail at some point because if God's doing what he wants to do, he's saving everybody. And if anybody here has ever been in jail, he's willing to save you. I got a question. And I'm not asking you to answer here. I'm just asking hypothetically so you will know what I'm talking about. If I commit a crime and I'm tried and convicted and sentenced and I go to jail and serve my time, I was found guilty and sentenced. When I serve my time, do I come out of jail innocent? 
going to jail, serving my time, doesn't take my guilt away and make me innocent. So doing good after you've sinned can't take away your guilt. The Bible says if, I'm offend, if I've offended in one point of the law, I'm guilty of the whole law. And once I'm guilty, I can't get rid of guilt by doing good. I can be reformed. I can become a better person. But the records show. I can become the very best person in my town. But there are people, places that won't hire me because the records show about my past. Well, heaven's records show about your guilt. But <laughs> the scripture says, he who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So you know what happened on the cross? Someone who was totally innocent took your sin and my sin upon themselves as their sin and they paid all the penalty for that sin so that they could forgive me. Now, I want to tell you about me. I've never sinned in my life. I've never had a bad thought. Never done anything wrong. I am just the most innocent, perfect person you've ever seen. Now this Jesus fellow, we're not going to talk about what he's done. What are you talking about? He took my sins, made them his, gave me his innocence. That's what it means to be righteous. In Sunday school, they talk, like, we, I'm righteous because I'm justified. In Sunday school, they taught us that being justified means just as if I'd never done it. That's exactly what he does. Except the problem with religion is religion still wants us to feel guilty so that we will do good rather than bad. I don't want to be good. I want to be righteous. I want him to take all my guilt and him to give me his innocence. His way. How do I do that? I have to confess my sins. Not to me. Not to anybody publicly here. But some of you sitting here, no matter how long you've been attending this church or some church, you are eat up with guilt. And you're so eat up with guilt, you don't, you don't want anybody to know what you've done, the things you should have done, you shouldn't, that you, that you did do, you shouldn't have done, and all that, right? But the Lord wants you to be free. He doesn't want you carrying that stuff around. That's what his love caused him to do. His love caused him to die in my place so I could be free. Free. Or theologically righteous. Because the love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. And receiving the love of God is receiving the kingdom of God. And the first thing the kingdom of God does in our life, it takes our guilt away and gives us innocence. The person sitting next to you doesn't have to hear, but when you're repenting, 
Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You have to say it. You don't have to say it loud enough for the person sitting next to you, next to, you to hear it. It's between you and God. But if you want to be forgiven, you have to confess your sins. So we're going to pray right now because God is willing to take your guilt away completely and let you go home innocent. But he cannot. He will not violate your will. He's not going to violate your will. You don't want him to forgive you. He's not going to do it because he can't do it against your will. And the proof that you want him to do that is you confess your sin. When you confess your sin, you're, you're, you're exercising your will for the Lord to take away your guilt and make it his guilt so that the price he's paid pays the penalty for that guilt. And then he gives you his innocence as your innocence. It's his innocence. In Jesus' name. Nobody has to know what you've done or not done except you and Jesus. But you've got to give, and give him, you've got to give him the permission to forgive you by exercising your right to repent. He cannot, will not violate your will. If you're not going to ask him to forgive you, you take your guilt home with you by your choice. It's your choice. Hallelujah. Free. He wants you and I to be free. Free. He wants us to be free. I want to be free. I don't want to carry around this guilt. I don't want it. I don't want it. I want to be free. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. This isn't a religious exercise. We're not doing something that's religious. We're obeying the word of God. We're doing what the Lord is inviting us to do by his love. His love invites us to be free by exercising our will to repent and ask him to forgive us of sins that we can't fix. We can't fix the past, the present, or the future. It's all in his hands. And he will fix it for us, take the record away and make us whole if we allow him to in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ hallelujah 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 the Lord promised to give us peace it is not possible to have peace if I have a grudge against somebody. That no matter how good a person I am, no matter how good I am, no matter how sinless I am, if I have a grudge against anybody, that disturbs my peace. And disturbed peace, <laughs> well, the Bible says, perfect love casteth out fear. 
when there is no fear, there is peace. So the manifestation of the love of God in your life, casting out fear, produces what? Peace. But if I have a grudge against someone else, it doesn't matter how righteous I am. If I won't let God forgive, help me to forgive them through me, I still don't have peace. But preacher, you don't know what they did to me, or you don't know how they didn't treat me they should have. No, no, I, maybe I don't, but I know this. I have no right to ask God to forgive me if I'm not willing to forgive those that have wronged me. Biblically, I have no right. And Jesus said, and I'm paraphrasing right now, if you ask me to forgive you but you won't forgive, then you don't feel forgiven because I can't forgive you. You can't ask me to forgive you and then not forgive the person you've got a grudge against because it proves you don't really believe in forgiveness. Because everything I've ever repented for, I don't deserve to be forgiven for it. So when I ask the Lord to forgive me for stuff I don't deserve to be forgiven for, but then I won't turn around and forgive those who have wronged me because they don't deserve to be forgiven, it proves I don't really believe what forgiveness is. There's, there are people in this room right now, Lord have mercy, I, I, I don't know how you ever have any peace of mind. I know you've been treated wrong. Some of you have been treated really badly. But it's never very far from your conscious mind. All kind of things, you know, the, the popular word is trigger. All kind of things trigger your memories and you remember what this person did or didn't do and you feel that stuff just rise up in you and you don't have peace, it's torment. It's torment. The problem is this, they're not doing this stuff to you today. You're doing it to yourself because of the memories you won't let go of, because you won't forgive. So you're the one doing that stuff to them. Whatever they did to you, I, I was dealing with a lady who had been raped. And uh, every, I, I prayed everything I knew to pray. I talked to her about everything from Scripture I knew to talk to her about. I was so desperate to help her, and she wasn't, she wasn't going anywhere. And I was talking to her, you've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. No, you can't be free if you don't forgive him. He doesn't deserve to be forgiven or whatever. And finally, I didn't have any other choice. I just said to her sister, how many times did that man rape you? She looked at me, she said, well, you know that, just once. I said, yes. And who is raping you with the memory of that every day over and over again? Whose choice is that? Because you won't forgive, you can't get any peace from the memory, and you're choosing, every time you choose to remember it, you're raping yourself with it over and over and over again every day. Because you're in bondage, you're not free. I told that story because somebody here needs to hear that. Maybe you weren't raped, but the principle's exactly the same. There's just stuff that you're holding on to that you punish yourself with every day. You think you're punishing that person, but you're not. You're punishing yourself. You're tormenting yourself with that every day. It is the will of God for you to be free today. It is the will of God. Some of you have carried these things so long, 
I'm telling you in Jesus' name, it is the will of God for you to be free today. It's the will of God for you to leave this building without any of those grudges anymore so you can have peace of mind, so you can sleep at night without torment, so you don't have any openings to fear in your life. In Jesus' name, let's pray. You have to ask, the, you have to tell the Lord you're forgiven that person. You're giving what they did to you to him. You're trusting him with it. He is God, you are not. You're giving it to him. You're letting it go. You want to be free. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what they've done, no matter what they've done to you, you want to be free. You don't want to carry this torment any longer. In the name of Jesus. Do you really think your grudge is hurting them? Is it really? Who's it hurting? It's hurting the person with it every single day. It's the will of God for you to be free. It's the will of God for you to be free by his grace because he loves you. If you will let him, you can let it go finally. Give it to him. Let him have it and be free in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. Nobody can force you. It has to be your will. Nobody can make you do this. That's why it's between you and God and nobody's praying with you. It's between you and God. Nobody can make this decision for you. Nobody can exercise your will for you to let it go. It's got to be you. It's you and Jesus. Come on. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? And if you're hanging on to it, it doesn't matter if it's a big grudge or a quote-unquote little grudge. If it's in your spirit, if it's in your memories and it constantly comes up, you, why do you want to carry it? Well, it's just a little thing. Yeah, well, that's all the more reason to get rid of it. Why do you want that in your spirit, in your mind? Why do you want that constantly coming up? Come on. In the name of Jesus, this is what we're doing today. This is it. All that's been done was to get us to this point today. That last prayer, this prayer, in Jesus' name, this is what the Lord's doing. I cannot do this for you. This church cannot do this for you. Only you and Jesus can do this business together and him work it in Jesus' name. But his presence is manifested in this place to empower you to be able to do this. Because he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, he Praise God. Praise God. We have one more thing here.
The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. I know people who are Christians, they're good people. They're doing their best to try to live by the word of God and they repent of their sins. They live a repented life and they forgive all their grudges and they don't keep anything like that in them, but they don't have any joy. They have righteousness, they have peace, they have no joy. The reason people don't have joy is because their past is stealing their hope for a future. They've repented of their sins to God. They have forgiven those that have done them wrong, but they have no joy. Joy, joy. <laughs> they have no joy. They have no joy because of their past. They've asked God to forgive them for their past. They've forgiven people that have wronged them in their past. But there's one important person left that they haven't forgiven. They haven't forgiven themselves. And you will never have real joy while you carry the ghosts of your past tormenting your life. All of those regrets, all of those shoulda, coulda, wouldas, all of those what ifs. All of them. And those things torment us. And we pray. And we repent and God forgives us and we forgive those that have, grud have grudges against us. We do all of that, but we still have no joy. We have no joy. We don't know why. I live this. I was molested when I was five years old. Happened one time. But my mother caught this boy doing this to me. He said we were playing a game. I didn't know what he was doing. He was older than me. He, he was the only playmate I had. So he said, let's play a game. Whatever he said, that went. And that should have gone on for months. But not this game. This was a new game. And this was the first time he wanted to hide when we played a game. Because there was a window in the kitchen that looked out over the backyard. I wasn't thinking like that. I'm five. So my mother noticed she couldn't see us. She came out to look for us. And she caught him doing things to me that were wrong, to say the least. This is 1951, and she loses it. And she screams and yells at this boy, get over that fence, and don't you ever come back in this yard again. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand. And she was still really upset. When she got rid of, got through dealing with him, she turned on me. 
instead of calmly explaining to me what was going on and why that that was wrong, what I was doing was wrong, etc. Uh, she didn't. Well, I wasn't making lifestyle choices and I wasn't making moral choices. We were playing a game. Now I have to admit that there was some point during that game when I felt uncomfortable, but I didn't understand that and I'm not gonna challenge this boy. He's my playmate, I don't wanna lose my playmate. But the problem was my mother she didn't intend to do it. It wasn't, it wasn't, she didn't intend to do it. But I didn't hear what I was doing was bad. I heard I was bad. And uh, from that day forward, for the next 33 years of my life, I felt broken. I felt like a mistake. I felt I was bad and hopelessly unfixable. And from that day forward for the next 33 years, yes, all the way till I was 38. On my good days, I didn't like myself. On my bad days, I hated myself. That's absolutely the truth. And yet, I received the Holy Ghost at age 12. Uh, I got married at 22. I became a pastor at 24. I became a father at 25. I, looking at the outside, People would, didn't know anything was wrong. But on the inside, and I was terrified anybody would find that out. I'd never told anybody. From the day when my mother stopped talking to me in the yard that day, for the next 33 years, I never discussed this with one single person. I was terrified. It didn't make sense to my mind, but to, in my emotions, I believed the lie that if anybody found out what happened to me at five, they would reject me. Joy, I couldn't even spell the word. Righteousness, yeah, I could spell righteousness. Of course, it had an S-E-L-F in front of it because I was trying to be good and prove I wasn't bad. Self-righteousness. Peace. If you had asked me if I had peace, I would have told you because I was totally ignorant of what peace was. Joy, what a joke. Now, I would feel joy in church services because the Spirit of the Lord began to move. People would begin to rejoice. I could feel the joy that someone else prayed and believed for in there. But as soon as I got, the car, got in the car and left, that joy left because it wasn't my joy. It was their joy. I could share the joy with them in the body. But on my own, I had no joy at all. And of course, I learned the difference between fun and happiness. You can have fun without joy. You can never be happy without joy. That's why there's so many Christians that they, 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 really, they want to be saved. They, they're trying hard to be saved, but they're not happy. And because they're not happy, they blame that unhappiness on the preacher, on the church, on the expectations, all of that. And the real problem is this, down here, right down here, my past, I can't get away from my past, haunts me. And I'd bury all that stuff. I didn't want to think about it because it hurt too bad. So th those 
thought those shame produces shame. And so every time I would make a mistake, because I'm not human, and, and I, that's what the blood's for, and uh, it's to, so that I could be forgiven. And so, but I wouldn't repent when I would make a mistake because I didn't feel worthy to be forgiven. So I would punish myself. And I would punish myself. And I would, in, in any time I made a mistake, especially if I had been doing good for a few days, and I made a mistake and proved that I still hadn't gotten good, I was now still bad, I would talk to myself really negatively. And I'm going to make an absolute statement, okay? This statement is an absolute statement. Some of you are not going to want to hear it. That's fine. Maybe someday you'll receive it. Because I'm going to make this statement. It's going to be in your spirit. You will never escape this statement because it's not mine. It's God's. Never. This statement, you will never escape because it's not a human. It didn't come from a human. It came from God. <laughs> you will never ever be able to drown out the memories of your past using any source for relief. It's never going away. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The only way you'll ever be free of your past you bring it to Jesus. So you repent of your sins. You forgive anybody that's been involved in it. But finally, here's the one. And this sounds so strange to the mind, but it's biblical. I have to let the Lord help me to forgive myself. Self-blame. Self-blame is a proof of a grudge against self. If I have to forgive Anybody else that's wronged me? I don't have to forgive myself for wronging me? How many times have we all let ourselves down? Again, the proof of shame is this. How much time do you play the, before you, you don't even realize you're doing it, you play the shoulda, coulda, woulda game. If, well, if I'd have just done this, or if I hadn't done that, or, Whatever. Or the what if game. What if this hadn't happened? What if that had happened? You know, and, and of course those are totally unproductive thought patterns because they don't solve anything. They fix nothing. They only make you wallow more in the pain of whatever that past is. What if I had been raised in a home with two parents? What if my parents hadn't gotten divorced? What if my dad hadn't died, my mother hadn't died? What, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? What if I hadn't been abused mentally, emotionally, physically, sexually? What if? What if that hadn't happened? I'd be a different person. Well, the, the, the next step of that is, but because that did happen, I'm not a different person, and, it, and I'm now hopeless, which means I'm joyless. Because you can't, if you don't have hope, you don't have joy. It's impossible. And I can't have hope for my present and my future while I'm grieving over my past that I won't allow to be gone. 
This isn't psychology. I didn't read any psychology books on this. I found every bit of this in the Bible because I needed answers. And God gave them to me at 38. Changed my life. Now, I've stood here and proven to you that I'm changed. I literally went 33 years and never spoke to a human being about what happened to me. And I've told this story but to, but to individuals and crowds of hundreds and thousands over and over again. In fact, I'm so healed that you can go on my YouTube channel, Apostolic Iron, and there's two seminars on there I taught on shame where I told the story in both of those seminars in more detail than this. Because I'm healed. I'm free. I'm free. But here's the good news. God is no respecter of persons. He cannot do that for me and not do that for you. He's got to do it. He would be untrue to himself. He can't do that. He would violate his own deity if he showed preferential treatment for you and wouldn't give you the same benefit. Here's the deal. Yeah, we're all coming from a different place. But he's trying to get us all, get us all to the same place. And he's able. He's able to do that. And there's nothing can separate me from the love of God. But me and my past. Read it. The end of chapter 8 of Romans. It tells you all the things that can't separate us from the love of God. There's two things not in the list. Me, I'm not in the list, and my past isn't in the list. And if I allow my past to cause me to feel unlovable, then God's trying to love me, but I'm, I don't feel loved. God sent this old man to Union Gap today. I don't know, in the will of God, if I'll ever be back. You may never have to put up with me again. But the bottom line is, he sent me here today for you for this. Because he wants you to be free. He wants you to be whole. He doesn't want you to feel broken anymore. He doesn't want you to feel like you're damaged goods. He wants you to have innocence, righteousness, peace, assurance, and joy, hope for your future. That's what he wants you to have. So you've asked God to forgive you, and you've let God help you to forgive others. This is the hardest one from a human perspective. Letting God help us to forgive ourselves over the past. But I, it, I wasn't responsible. I know that factually, but I know what emotions do. I was totally a victim in all that, but I felt all of those feelings were turned by me against me on me. Here's our problem. How many things over the years is a memory you can't afford to think about? 
because if you think about it, it hurts, it makes you angry, it causes you to feel hopeless, or whatever the negative emotion is. And so what do we do with those things? We just push them out of our conscious mind and we think we dealt with them. We haven't dealt with them at all. They affect us every day, but we're not aware of it because we won't deal with it because we don't know how to deal with it. I'm talking about being free. Now, when the Lord showed me how to deal with my shame, this is the way he had me pray. You can pray it any words you want. Okay? It's not complicated. A memory would come of something that happened or didn't happen or whatever, something that hurt, something that made me angry, something that made me feel bad about myself, feel rejected, feel like a failure. And I'd pray this way, Father, by your help and grace, I forgive and release myself for. Now, what if I don't pray those exact words? I'm, it's, it's, you don't have to pray those exact words. But you have to pray something along the line. And I like to say, Father, by your help and grace, acknowledging the fact that I can't forgive myself by myself. I have no basis for forgiving myself by myself. So by his help and grace, I forgive and release myself for fill in the blank. Now, I'm going to say this to you. We're going to start today. But for those of you especially who's been around a little while, you are not going to deal with all those memories today. But here's what the hope is. That you will begin to feel enough relief today that you will stop resisting dealing with the memories when they come up. Because God in his mercy brings the memory up so you'll deal with it, but we push it down and bury it. Because we don't know how to deal with it. So we keep pushing it down. And he in his mercy, because he loves us, he brings it up to our minds so we'll finally let him help us to deal with it so we can be free. But we don't know how to be free or we don't know we're not willing to be free or whatever reason. And so we push the memory back down and we hold on to the memory. We hold on to the memory. And let me tell you something. You ever been in a situation where, you, where something happened and you reacted totally out of proportion to that? And you think to yourself, why do I act like that? I'm going to tell you why you acted like that. It had nothing to do with that situation. That situation just simply pushed the button of that wound you've had in there. It hit your wound, and that wound is painful. And you reacted because of the wound, but because you buried the wound, you don't even know why you're reacting like that. I lived all of that. I lived every bit of that. I lived it. I lived in terror of failure. I lived in terror of rejection, and yet I considered myself a failure all the time. I considered myself, I rejected myself all the time. And it didn't matter how many other people loved me, how many other people accepted me. I didn't receive it. I couldn't believe it. I don't, didn't believe they meant it, or it was never good enough. It never affected the way I felt about myself. But when I got prayed for that one day, in, in February of 1984, I was 38 years of age, it changed my life. Now, I will say to you this. I knew I was different that night, but it took a little while for me to begin to learn to live with this new person. 
because there were so many deeply ingrained habits. But the one thing I realized that was brand new was it's not that I didn't make any more mistakes. It's that every time I made a mistake from that point on, I would immediately repent. I would never allow my mistakes to send me down into some pit. That was the difference. I was free. I was free. Pray your words however you want to. But today's your starting point. And you can make enough progress in this. You will leave here different. But if you will continue to pray this anytime, anywhere that the Lord brings a memory up, you don't have to make a scene. Riding down the road, you have a memory come up. You've been suppressing, Lord. By your help and grace, I forgive and release myself and fill in the blank of that memory. It'll go away. Those things I prayed for, like that, they went away. They have never come back except as healed memories where there was no more pain. And the ones he let me remember that were healed were testimonies of what God has done in my life. Let's pray. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I loose the spirit of grace, the spirit of the love of God in this place right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose the spirit of the love of God upon us, the spirit of the grace of God, the spirit of the power of God to enable us to be free today, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose the power of forgiveness in this place that we can let go of every grudge we have against ourselves in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on. Father, by your help and grace, I forgive and release myself for. Whatever it is, let it go. Let him have it. Give it to him. You can't fix it. You can't undo it, but he can take it away. He can heal that wound and make you whole. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, this is between you and him. It's between you and him. He loves you. Let him love you. His grace is able to give you the ability to do this. Come on. He wants you to be free. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to be free. He wants you to be whole. 
Come on. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. In the name of Jesus, Father, you're by your help and grace. I forgive and release myself for. In the name of Jesus. It's the will of God for you to go home different than you came today. That's the will of God. In Jesus' name, it may take a few weeks. It may take a couple of months for you to really begin to understand how different you are. But that's the will of God. He wants you to be free. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to have righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Again, for many of you, this will just be a start today with the shame. You'll, you'll have to trust the Lord as memories come up that you will deal with it, okay? But here's what we're going to do now. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands and begin to thank Him for what He's done for you today. For every sin He's forgiven, for every grudge you've been able to let go of, for every bit of, sh of your past that He's enabled you to begin to deal with, come on, receive it. Give it to Him right now. Come on, thank you for it. I receive it, Father. I receive this work in my life today, Father. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you've done in my life, Father. In the name of the... Do I give it to you? Do I give it to you or him? Okay. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. We're thanking him. We're giving him thanks for what he's done. Thank you, Father. 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 Come on. Come on. We're giving him thanks because of the work he's done in our lives today. Thank you, Father. We receive what you've done for us today. We receive it, Father. We receive what you've done today, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't you just stand for a moment and continue to release what the Lord's doing here. Come on, just let it out right now. Let it flow out of you. The healing that the Lord's done here today. Lord, I thank you for it. Lord, I thank you for it. I thank you for it. I receive it today, Jesus. I receive it today, Jesus. Lord, I'm going to walk as a new creature. Lord, I'm going to live as a new man. Come on, receive this down into your spirit today. Receive it down into your spirit today. Come on, speak it in faith. 
Speak it in faith today in Jesus' name. Lord, I'm healed today. I'm made whole today in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Yes, my Lord. Yes, my Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know that we've received and we've, we've received a lot of great things today. And the Lord has done a lot of changes. I'm going to let you, encourage you to go around and find someone to pray for, if you would. We're going to move into a time of releasing faith among our brothers, among our sisters. If you want to come to the front and pray, it's open, but I'm going to encourage you wherever you want to, find a place and pray. Let this faith, let this new man be exercised a little bit today. Come on, let's pray in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I speak it today in Jesus' name. I speak it today in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray wholeness over your people today. I pray wholeness and restoration over your people today, God. I pray the joy of the Holy Ghost over your people right now. In Jesus' name, the joy of the Holy Ghost right now. In Jesus' name.
Hallelujah. Come on, the Lord's doing some beautiful things in here. Lord, I'm thankful for it. Lord, I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for it. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for healing. Lord, I thank you for wholeness. I thank you for righteousness and peace and joy. I'm thankful for it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Let me encourage you to li live what you heard today. Walk in it. You heard steps today. Steps of faith. The Lord's helped us with this today. Amen. Amen. We're going to walk in it. Praise God. This is the beginning, like Bishop Wright said. He's starting some things today. It's up to us to recognize it and know, okay, yes, this is how I continue in it. This is how I live this way. This is how I become a new person. Amen. Amen. Thank the Lord. One more time, let's thank Him. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for righteousness, Lord, for taking away our sins, God. I thank you, Lord, for taking away our shame, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, for giving us your love. I thank you for giving us your peace. Hallelujah. I receive it today. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I encourage you to greet one another.